Heavenly Father, I thank you. Oh, there's so much to be thankful for, Father. You, you do remind us of so many things. The more we reflect on the reasons for Thanksgiving, the more you instruct us in how much you have done, um, how much has been accomplished, and how it all began with the creation of all things, and then the creation of, of Adam specifically, and then Eve, and and how the human family developed, fortunately, sadly, very sadly, with sin abounding and through sin death. So, Father, we're so thankful that you are the creator, you are the redeemer, and you are the sustainer, and you have provided a precious word. Otherwise, we would know so much less than we know now. Yes, the creation speaks loudly, too, regarding your eternal power and Godhead. But Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us this morning uh, with your word open before us, uh, even a word of truth and a word of grace. And I pray, Father, that you would enable me to share those verses that have changed my life and uh, have done so forever. And I pray, that Father, that they would change the lives of all who hear this morning, if they haven't already, and and that we'd be blessed here in our fellowship this morning together. We're so thankful for each one who's with us. Father, we're so thankful that you have revealed to us your, your will and purpose in all things uh, through your precious word of truth and that it's been preserved. You are the sustainer and, and the preserver and the preserver of the revelation given to Moses to be written down and then to be passed down to us and then many other prophets and apostles uh, down through the ages. And so, Father, thank you for preserving that word and giving us reliable translations as well. What a blessing that is. Help us this morning to uh, understand the full magnitude of your grace and how great a blessing it is to know you and to have our Lord Jesus as our precious Savior and uh, to be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies as well. May that never be forgotten. So, Father, as we open your word now, please be with those that aren't with us and probably, uh, if they could, would be blessed together with us and pray that they'd be blessed apart from us this day. And bless us as we open your word. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, well, we continue today. Remember what we're doing here. <clears throat> we're going through a number of passages of Scripture that God has used sovereignly to bless us in our own lives, and me in particular, um, also Patty's and um you know, it's been certainly a, a, a great uh, course of living uh, as the Lord continues to bring to our lives the meaning of these truths and continues to give us strength and joy through them. And uh, we've looked at a number of different ways that the Lord has done that already here. We're now in part five of this. So we're looking to see how the Genesis teachings have made a difference for Paul 
And then he, as he writes about that uh, and about the great blessings of God in his life, we can sort of see how the themes in Genesis all tie together uh, with the Pauline teaching in various ways. They're really foundational, and Paul certainly based his uh, teaching upon them uh, in many ways. And we're looking today further at how he did that. Although today, really, Paul really goes beyond Genesis uh, and does not, in the scriptures we're going to look at, refer directly back to them. But I'm pretty sure that Paul had Genesis very much on his mind always, as we've already seen, looking at all the other ways he does refer back to that first book in the Bible. So the subject today is the suffering and the testimony and uh, the verses that made a difference for me and hopefully have for you as well. Next time, we'll look at the mark of that testimony. There's a difference between the suffering and then the mark of it. When we are involved in suffering, we certainly are experiencing it, but what we may not fully understand is how God through that is marking us. And uh, that's uh, a work of the Lord that really does need to be taken into account. Well, next time we'll especially focus on that. Well, in our last two fellowships, we looked at uh, this doctrine that I'd, I've called the federal headship doctrine about how through one man sin came into the world and death through sin, that's through Adam, and therefore being in Adam is where all are, apart from salvation. And then, not only through one man, sin entered in the world, but through one man, our Lord Jesus Christ, righteousness entered into the world, because Christ offered up himself fully paying the penalty for our sins and uh, brought an opportunity, a privilege to receive his righteousness, which is then imputed to us. So Adam's sin comes upon all. It's imputed to their accounts, every person who's born into the human race. But the righteousness of Christ is imputed to those that believe and uh, what a blessing it is. So we're either in Adam or we're in Christ. The two different realms where we live as God sees us. This is how God sees mankind. You're either in Adam or you are in Christ. And that's uh, something we looked at in some detail. Last time we looked at how in Genesis, we see that whole doctrine sort of under underlaid as a foundation there for what Paul then reveals in great detail in Romans chapter 5. And I'm not going to go there today and review that again. We really don't have time to do that. But you can go back and look at the online uh, note files and study that again uh, anytime you like at libertymessenger.com. O-R-G. There's also that nice table I put out there last time showing 
the teaching in Romans chapter 5. Okay, that uh, is where we've come here to today's lesson on suffering. Now, Paul wrote something about how the whole Bible is given to us for our blessing. And yet much of the Bible is all about human sin and suffering, is it not? A large amount of the Bible is about that. God does reveal accurately exactly the course of history there, right? And we especially see that in reference to the nation of Israel. But even before the nation of Israel was formally created uh, in the pages of Genesis, we see revealed much about human suffering and how the great patriarchs like Abraham, like Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, how they all suffered so greatly in their lives. Now, Paul writes about suffering and how the Bible, uh, and not just suffering, but suffering in the glory, because <laughs> as, as we find in Scripture revealed, first the suffering, then the glory. And God would have never allowed sin into the world if this were not true. And we've seen from our study last time how though sin abounded, grace did much more abound and will much more abound. And uh, our last uh, st uh, study in this uh, series we're on right now will be focused on the glory. <laughs> and the glory, it's hardly possible to describe it in words. But Paul uses some words to describe it that the Holy Spirit gives him, and they are blessed words indeed. But the whole Bible is given for our edification. And so if we read in Romans chapter 15, where Paul writes about this, this is what we read in verses 1 through 4. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. And then verse 4 makes it practical for us. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scripture might have hope. Now, there are some words that should spring right off of the page for us every time we read them, that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. What does the world need so desperately but does not have? Hope. And why do they not have it? Because they have not received the teaching of the scriptures, right? It's that simple. So again, we go back to the scripture today, uh, looking uh, a little at Genesis, but mostly focusing today on what Paul has written for our edification. 
our patience, our comfort, and to stimulate our hope in him and his eternal plan through our Lord Jesus, right? Praise God, praise God. All of us can give testimony as to how God has blessed us through the scripture in the past. And if we stopped just to do that, it would take hours. <laughs> but um, we won't do that today. I will talk about how the Lord blessed me, however. I have a special privilege to do that here today. We're drawn very much into Hebrews chapter 11. See the outline there before we proceed with what Paul has written. So what does Hebrews 11 say? And I'd, I'd like Sarah to read that for us because I've just read the verses where Paul says the scriptures are given for our comfort and patience that we might have hope. That means Genesis as much as the rest, right? So Paul writes about that in Hebrews chapter 11. So Sarah, would you read to us from Hebrews 11 verses 17 through 22? By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence he also received him in a figure. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment considering his bones. Okay, thank you, Sarah. So there are four individual believers mentioned, right? Very significant in Israel's history because their history goes back in its foundations to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and to Joseph. But what's written here is that it's by faith that all of these lived. Now, they were very much involved with the world. And when you read in Genesis, you see all the evidence of that, right? There's a lot of detail there. There were conflicts on every side. They were called to live in a land that didn't belong to them. They didn't own it. They could buy a small piece of land from someone to bury their dead. Think about that. that. That's as far as it went, right? Uh, they didn't own anything. They had no property. Uh, they had whatever the Lord provided. They had flocks, right? And they were shepherds. And uh, when they give their testimony, they testify of that. That they're shepherds, aliens, strangers, right? <laughs> Waiting. For God to fulfill the promises. And their whole lives are consumed with this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Their entire lives are consumed with waiting on the Lord for him to provide fulfillment of the promises. And so how do they live? They live not by sight. Though they did see many blessings of the Lord during their lives. But there were many, many trials as well, right? And very much suffering. So they, by faith, lived their lives. And so Hebrews 11 
verses 17 through 22. In each of these examples, for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, they all, it says here, lived by faith. And it singles out one specific thing. So if we went back to Genesis and looked at these four things that are singled out here, we would, uh, the author here says, learn something really important about how God worked in the lives of these four and how, in fact, uh, he provided to them, he gifted to them, he gave them a testimony. It's all about testimony. And for three of them, the words singled out here relate to what they said at the end of their lives about their offspring yet to be revealed. Many promises were given, but those promises we read elsewhere were not yet fulfilled. So that's really uh, what we see there. So uh, to begin with, if we considered the suffering then of each of these, and I am focused on suffering today, as I said before, because I don't think we spend enough time looking at it from this angle, from this side. I mean, when you study the life of Abraham, you're probably looking at the great victories by faith this, by faith that, and so forth. And maybe you're not paying any attention at all to how it must have looked from Abraham's point of view. How did Abraham see it all, right? Well, we looked at that in the, in past studies somewhat, definitely. Even recently, uh, focused on Abraham and how he saw it when God had made promises and reiterated those promises regarding a son, but he did not have a son uh, through the, his wife of, of God's choice, who was Sarah, right? He did not have a son, and they waited 24 years before God again spoke, and he said, this year will be the year a son will be given. So finally, after much trial, and indeed there were a lot of trials in those 24 years, and trials to Abraham's faith, and trials in life, right? Uh, with en enemies on every side, actually, and God nevertheless delivered. But finally, he provided the son, right? The son was given. And so then, as we see in Genesis 22, and this is what <laughs> Hebrews 11 is all about, right? When it says, by faith, Abraham, right? What did it say? By faith, Abraham, when he was tried. Well, Abraham was tried many times, right? But here it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Accounting, this tells you the content of Abraham's faith, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. I'm not going to talk more about all that that means, but take note of this one thing, that Abraham was 
tried and the greatest trial of his life no doubt was this one okay because this trial goes far beyond anything that we have ever experienced in life it goes far beyond anything that you can even imagine here is this man called out from a land of of unbelief coming with nearly nothing leaving everything behind nearly and coming to the land of promise the land where god said he would live amongst potentially warlike and dangerous inhabitants of that land but nevertheless live there as aliens and strangers bringing forth offspring that would ultimately be a blessing to the world right and then one step at a time probably very small steps at a time and then finally a large step when the son was given did abraham uh, see god's blessing right and so abraham saw that great blessing and now he's called and commanded to take this son through whom all the other promises would be fulfilled in due time and offering up him up for a burnt offering. I mean, can you even conceive what was going through Abraham's mind? But what does it say here about Abraham when he was tried? It says he offered him up. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. This was the son of the promise, the son through whom the seed would come. And, you know, ultimately, that's the seed of the woman, Israel's Messiah, our Lord Jesus. So <clears throat> Abraham was suffering, and that's not even a good word for it. He was completely overwhelmed with suffering, but his faith did not fail him. He believed that God would raise Isaac up. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so they took the wood, <clears throat> they took the fire, they left early, and it seems they didn't even tell Sarah what they were doing, and they traveled for three days, and uh, you remember the rest of that story, okay? God provided himself for an offering. <laughs> so there was an animal there to be sacrificed, caught in the thicket. And so Abraham, whose arm was always already moving with the dagger in hand towards the chest of his son, uh, stopped short and received the blessing. So Abraham's life was totally changed by this. He never I'm sure forgot this. I'm sure Isaac didn't either, right? No way. Isaac ended up living his life pretty much as an alien, a stranger, and as a shepherd. Uh, and there is not that much really written about that compared to how much is written about Abraham and Jacob and Joseph. So be it. Their lives were changed forever. Through what? Through suffering and the blessings of God that came to them through that. And now God provided them with through that suffering and through the blessings 
revealed by a good hand of God upon them a testimony. He gave them a testimony. Uh, same was true with Jacob and also uh, with Joseph. For Jacob, it's much the same. Many trials came upon him in his life. Uh, some were due to his own nature. <laughs> Jacob, as you know, means uh, pretty much a supplanter, one that takes what isn't really his. In other words, just to use a one word, often used word in the English language, the word thief, thief. Uh, Jacob got into much trouble with his brother Esau, who was the elder, uh, Jacob the younger. And uh, yet the blessings were going to be with Jacob because that was uh, his father's uh, proclamation as he passed the blessings uh, that he'd received from his father. In other words, Isaac passed those blessings then on to Jacob, not on to Esau. And then Jacob begins a life of trials and tribulations which are very great indeed. And uh, uh, one of the greatest is written of in Genesis chapter 32, where we read in one chapter uh, such a stark contrast. It's just overwhelming to me. And seeing them changed my life really a long time ago. Genesis 32, uh, verses uh, 1 through 12, but I'm only going to read a couple of verses. First of all, verse 1. Genesis 32. This is, by the way, historically in the time, uh, historical time, basically, uh, Jacob has spent 20 years in the service of Laban, you know, working off the uh, the dowry, basically, for, uh, first of all, Rachel, and secondly, Leah. And then an additional number of years, <laughs> For a good keeping, right? <laughs> and uh, so he has left, contrary to uh, Laban's will, but he has left with uh, his family and his sons. He has many sons at this point in time. And they go back off into the promised land, right? To live as strangers and pilgrims, right? As shepherds. With the blessing of God, he knew upon them. And yet... Uh, there in, were in Jacob's mind many uh, uh, questions and uh, really uh, anxieties, to say the least, because remember, he had left the promised land because of fear that his brother Esau would kill him. And that fear is still with him after all of these years. Okay? And so verse 1, though, says, chapter 32, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. Oh, my. So he has no reason to fear, you would say. And yet his human nature is alive and well. And we see in the next verses that he's very concerned that Esau will, perhaps with the great army, meet them and kill them. And that will be the end of, of what? Not just his life and his families, it'll be the end of the promises of God, right? <laughs> okay, so what happens? Um, 
Jacob uh, engineers a certain tactical uh, response to his fears to give the best probability of at least some of them surviving? Really? And that's what he does. His mind is overpowering, isn't it? Right. Okay, so uh, he does that, and um, yet um, he reminds God in verse, verse 11 and 12, or 10, real 10, 11, 12 of, of this uh, most wonderful confidence that he still has in the Lord. He says, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy, thy servant. For with my staff I've passed over this Jordan, and now I've become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And now reminding of God again, and, sh and thou saidest, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude. So Abraham passed the blessing and promises on to Isaac. Isaac passed them on to Jacob. And now Jacob is saying, Lord God, here am I. I'm not worthy, but you promised. Okay. Then in verses 22 and following, uh, these amazing verses about how that night, separating himself off from the family, it says in verse 24, and Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with them, with him. So, as I've taught before, I believe this is the pre-incarnate Son of God wrestling with Jacob. And uh, the consequence of this is blessings are given to Jacob that are most precious in those following verses. And Jacob's name is, again, changed to Israel. He says, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. So Jacob's anxieties and lack of confidence and fear have not prevented the sovereign Lord God from doing his great work, right? But there's something that's happened as a result to Jacob. He now... What does it say here? Uh, verse 30, And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And he passed over Penuel as the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Jacob has received the mark of the Lord. This will change his life, not only for some years, but of course, ultimately forever, right? He's been marked. 
Praise God. Such mercy indeed, right? We see the same in Joseph. Joseph is blessed, but if you consider how much he suffered in the process, for many, many years, Joseph suffered. First, he was sold off into slavery by his brethren, right? Then God worked deliverance on multiple occasions in different ways after he spent years in prison. Finally, he's elevated to the highest places in Egypt, right? And finally, is reunited with his family. And uh, at that point, he has had revealed to him, Joseph has had revealed to him the ways of the Lord, that the Lord blesses greatly, but through trials and tribulations on every side, and finally, the Lord uh, sovereignly uh, is victor. He is the one who is victorious over all foes. And he does it involving even sinners such as Jacob and now Joseph, right? And if we read about Joseph's view on it, remember they gathered together. Joseph revealed himself to his brethren after they had buried uh, Jacob's body back in the uh, promised land uh, and came back to Egypt. Joseph's brothers are sure that Joseph's going to finally take vengeance on them for all that they did in selling him off into slavery. And yet what happens? Uh, what happens is so, so very wonderful. And uh, Linda, I'd like you to read that for us in chapter 50, verses 19 through 21 of Genesis. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not. For am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore, fear, fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spanked kindly unto them. Thank you, Linda. So <clears throat> his response reflects the power of God working in him. As God revealed to Joseph things that were just incomprehensible, apart from the work of God in him, that somehow all that had occurred was for the preservation of his own people, right? And to accomplish that, God engineered it so that So that Jacob and his family would ultimately be preserved in Egypt. What, a, what an amazing, amazing thing, right? Uh, but think of how much Joseph suffered through all of this, and how much Jacob suffered through all of this and the rest of the family. The sufferings were extremely great, but the blessings would be even greater, right? Even greater blessings would come out of it. And Joseph was so overwhelmed, he was in tears twice, uh, once privately and once in public, right? In tears, considering how great God's blessings upon them were. And that's his response there. You thought it evil against me, but God meant it unto good. Even though they were evil, 
incomprehensibly evil towards Joseph. Nevertheless, God worked out his glory in and through them. And so that brings us now to our beloved apostle Paul. And if anyone can write about suffering and the testimony coming through that, it's certainly Paul, right? And so the subject here now is how does God work out his grace in and through us in this dispensation of the grace of God? We've seen how he did that in ages past there uh, by looking back into the into Genesis. But how did, does he do this today? That's what Paul writes about. And uh, he he does this in just amazing ways. As we're all in the, in the course of learning, what is life? It's the school of learning, right? And uh, that's what we read about in, in Philippians chapter 1. And Lewis, I'd like you to read these. I, th- I could have always considered these to be kind of the defining verses regarding the subject of how God brings his grace into our lives and works it out in our lives to honor and glorify him in the end. And he uses suffering, no question about it. So, Lewis, please read this. Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Only let your conversation be as he becometh, the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you, or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Oh, thank you, Lewis. Okay, these are very special words. God has used them to, to change my life, uh, as I've said before, and I'll say it again now. Um, for unto you it is given. This is the word for a grace gift. It's given by grace to us. He says, he says unto you it is given on be, in the behalf of Christ. For his benefit, okay, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. So we're in this together. Christ is the head, we are the body. What he feels, we feel, and what we feel, he feels. What he endures, we endure. What we endure, he endures. There's this sharing, which is most precious. And I feel... Apart from scripture like this and the ones we'll look at now in a moment, we might not know this. We might not have it revealed so clearly to us. But how God is able to work all things together for good, even in this world of sin today. And it's through his children. It's through us who have uh, him dwelling within us and who have his gift of righteousness. So what does it say to you? It is given graciously. 
Christ's sake, okay? Um, yes, to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Uh, and then he says, having the same conflict, because Paul is our example in this. Having the same conflict, which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. The word conflict is this Greek word out of which we get uh, an English word, agony, agony. So Paul has an agony in his spirit regarding all of this, that he's in this fellowship with Christ and suffering together with him. And he says it's for us as well. Okay, praise God. Uh, do the scriptures draw you into understanding of how God can even work through our suffering? I surely hope that they do. Let's read of that more. And I, I think that the verses that Sarah will now read are the other capstone. So the Philippians 1 and now this. Uh, so wonderful. And then we'll go to the Corinthian letter for the final capstone. But uh, Sarah, please read to us Colossians chapter 1. Verses 23 through 29. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fell off that which is behind the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, and is now manifest in his saints, to whom God would make known what is the richest of his glory, to this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Jesus Christ. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. So Paul is, again, he's talking about himself, uh, set forth as our example, and how he suffers so very greatly, and uh, is our example in that. But he rejoices, he says, verse 24. Uh, in his sufferings for the church. To complete, to fill up that which is still left behind uh, concerning the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. So there's ongoing uh, suffering that Christ endures because he's connected directly to us. Later, it says Christ in you, right? He's uh, intimately involved in our lives, and he suffers when we suffer, and that's what this is all about. So he says to, to complete it, the church has it a privilege to enter into these sufferings, he says, and therefore he rejoices at his opportunity there. And then he goes on and writes about the revelation given to him concerning the mystery. And that is then summarized in verses 27 and 28. What's contained in this marvelous revelation. Paul has received for our benefit, right? To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory 
of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect or complete in Christ Jesus. Then in verse 29, he uses all these different words for laboring and, and striving and work, right? Whereunto I labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Five different words about Christ working in and through him. Five words. What an emphasis in verse 29. So this is really the heart of the doctrine of grace regarding suffering for the believer today under grace. I pray that we'll take it to heart and rejoice in it. It's our privilege to suffer for him. We should rejoice in it, he says. And following Paul, imitating Paul in this high calling is our opportunity. Now, uh, Patty, these verses. Uh, I'll first of all read a couple, and then I'd like you to read verses 9 through 12. So I'll begin in verse 5. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Patty, you want to continue? Verse 9 through 12. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Oh, amen and amen and amen. Oh, well, when I read these words, I remember the day when the, the Lord first began to write them on my heart and that they might be not simply pleasant, kind of a blessing, um, you know, where God says this, now we should be blessed by this, but but actually experiencing this, this blessing, and uh, being drawn into this special knowledge of uh, how we are really living out the very resurrection life of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Being drawn into his death and into his glorious resurrection. And Paul writes about that here so powerfully, doesn't he? He writes about it in many other places as well. But uh, I'm going to give you just a quick outline of that, and then we'll leave it. But uh, Linda, there are these verses in Second Corinthians which explain really how it was that Paul himself came into the 
experience of suffering with the Lord, how he himself did. Uh, Linda, would you read for us uh, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 6 through 10? For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, for now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that which he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he saith unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glor rather glory in my infirmities, that, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Thank you, Linda. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul's response, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And then, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So, how is it that God brings suffering into our lives? It's to make us a witness, a testimony of the sufficiency of his grace. Do these scriptures draw you into even more experience of the Lord? I pray and hope that they do and will. Paul goes on to write about this in so many places. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. It'll be out of context. You'll have to take the notes and look at this later if you want to study in more depth. But Philippians chapter 4, verse 12 and then 13. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Romans 6. Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Hmm, that's an interesting one, huh? Romans 8, 17. And if children then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ, if so, we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. Second Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.5 For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And then finally, to close, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. 
if we suffer, we shall reign with him. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So summarizing in just a couple of sentences, it's our privilege to suffer with him for his glory and the manifestation of his grace intimately, day by day and hour by hour. And may we be a witness and a testimony of all that the Lord has done and is doing in and through us. Jacob said when he came face to face with Pharaoh, he said, we are but shepherds on a pilgrimage, aliens and strangers, so be it. And he does say life has been hard, but he says it's been short. <laughs> but <laughs> there was much hope in his heart. He had every reason to believe that God was going to fulfill every promise he ever made. Praise God. That's true for us, too. His grace is always sufficient. Well, may you all rejoice in this special uh, set of scriptures today that are so, so very much a blessing to us every time we read them. And, uh, and may we uh, never forget them because God's given them to us for our comfort and to fortify our hope for these times in which we live, for such a time as this. Huh? Praise God. Are you listening for the shout and hear the voice and the call? I pray that you are always. May God bless you greatly. Are there any comments before we close today in prayer? Yeah. Lots of food for spiritual thought, right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you. Thank you for all the blessings your word brings to us, how it is that word that you use to write on our hearts to transform us. We all have experience of that, Heavenly Father, how you've done that for us. And truly, as Jacob said that day, I am not worthy of all of thy mercy and thy truth. So thank you, Heavenly Father. Praise your blessed name. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen and amen.